We're in a series that we have set out on a venture or a quest to discover our identity. And we have said that as Christians, our identity is in Jesus Christ. And we're trying to answer the big question, who are you? Who am I? And thus far, as we've walked systematically through chapter by chapter through Ephesians, we've come to see that Paul says over and over again, our identity is not given to us by the world, but our identity is given to us by God. Our identity is not to be taken from what we do or achieve or gain or even clothe ourselves with. Our identity is taken from what we've received, what has been done to us. Um, It's Mother's Day. When you were born, you were identified as a member of your family by being born in that family. You didn't do anything to be born in that family. You could not do anything for yourself. You couldn't feed yourself, clothe yourself, couldn't walk. You were just there to be cared for. But already you had an identity as a family member. Our identity, therefore, is found in Christ. It's found because we have been born again into a new family and we're called sons and daughters with God as our Father. And not only that, but we learned last week that not only are we in Christ ever on his mind and in his heart, but Christ has come to dwell in us. In this scripture that John just read, the Apostle Paul starts off in verse 1 saying, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's talking about something else In addition to our identity being in Christ, our identity is with Christ. Think about one being passive and one being active. Think about the image that he uses, walking. I can ask the question, are you walking out of your identity in Christ? Are you walking? You may say, well, I am in Christ. Well, what does that look like in your life? What are you doing? Your identity is your being. I'm in Christ. But what does that look like? There are some of you, um, I don't think he'll mind me calling him out because he's a good pal of mine, Ron Lucas. I can identify Ron Lucas a quarter mile away by the way that he, he walks. Because we have, he has a very distinct, manly walk. And so there are others of us that if we follow one another closely, we can say, wow, I can identify a person by how they're walking. Not simply their actions, but their activity. And Paul says that it's important that we understand. We understand this as a congregation and as a church because it has everything to do with the life with the community and the worship of a local church. Now, 
If you don't have an outline this morning, you've just got a blank page of notes. But if I were to give you an outline, it would be this. I want to show you the theology behind both the giver of gifts. That's point number one, the giver of gifts. And then the gifted, that is us, and their gifts. So the giver of gifts is number one. But before that, I want to show you a bit of theology behind that. Paul gives a theology lesson here to the church at Ephesus. And it's important for us to see this. And then secondly, not only the giver of gifts, but the gifted, that is us, and the gifts that we have or that God has given to us. At the end of our time, I want you to say, I know that, uh, of course, every one of you is going to just cover every bit of the white on that page, but save one bit, maybe a corner, and try to identify at least one, if not more, of the 16 spiritual gifts that God historically has given to His people. We're going to do a spiritual gift inventory this morning. And it's important, I think you would find it very, very helpful if you've never done this, to begin to identify how God has not only called me, Paul says, verse 1, You have been called, but I have a calling. And my calling operates out of my gifts. So, Paul urges us, two rivers, to walk, to minister to one another in the church, to serve Him and His kingdom purposes in the community, in the fellowship of two rivers. That's our calling. That's how we are walking And that identifies us as those that are in Christ. Um, Verse 8. Right there, that parenthetical statement that John called attention to. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. This may seem like it comes out of the blue, but we've learned that this church in Ephesus, small church plant in a city that, worship the idol Diana, fertility goddess, was a very mixed group. You had pagan Gentiles that were born again, that they now are coming to be identified as Christians. And and the book or the letter, this epistle to the Ephesians, takes a turn here where it gets very, very practical. He's saying, now, little church, now that you've come to identify yourselves as Christians, This is what you are to look like. This is how you are identified, even by others. And so he comes and he gives them a theology lesson. It might strike you as strange that he talks about ascending and descending and giving gifts. But I can tell you, as in in working with a lot of new believers, they ask some very elementary but common questions. And two that are most popular are this. Where is Jesus now? Because we don't, Christians, we don't worship or memorialize a fallen dead founder. He's alive. Well, where is he? And we direct them to Colossians 3 verse 1 that says that bodily Christ is at the right hand of God now in the heavens until his return. But spiritually, He is within, dwelling within the Christian through the medium of the Holy Spirit, the very Spirit 
of Jesus. And the second question is, what's he doing? And notice Paul here in verses 8 and 9 and 10 explains that Jesus Christ came, he descended all the way to earth, he lived the perfect life, a life that we should have lived. And then we killed him. And we buried him. We buried him in a tomb deep in the earth. But three days as he conquered death. For we killed a man who was righteous and innocent. Death could not keep its grip on him. He came out 40 days and he appeared to many that, that saw him and spoke to him. And then you can read in Acts 1 of how he ascended into the heavens with a promise that one day from the very heavens he would descend once again for judgment in the beginning of the new heaven and the new earth. Paul's talking to a young church and he says, it's important that you know where Jesus is. And it's also important to know not only where he is, but what he's doing. What's Jesus doing now? Now most of us would say, well, he's interceding. He's praying for us. He's interceding for the saints, he's, he's speaking to God the Father. That's ours, that's yours, that's a son, that's a daughter. Oh Lord, be with this one. Oh Lord, this is, this is one that has so many struggles, but that we are, we are bringing along in the faith. And look how they're growing and they're really understanding you more. And more. But more than that, or in addition to that, it says right here in verse 8 that he gave gifts to men. He gave gifts to men. So number one, I want you to see that he is the giver of gifts. And he gives three primary gifts. Okay? Verses, verses 3 through 6 show us that he's given us himself. Look how many times the word one occurs. It occurs at least five times. And he's saying that the thing, the, the cement that makes you one body. Paul will begin to use here this image of a body. He says the church is to be seen as a body. And this body has a head. It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dwells on, in, and through the body because he's given us himself. No other religion is a given religion. It's all taking. Bring food to the idols. Bring your special accomplishments or achievements and maybe the gods will reward you. But not Christianity. From the very beginning, God has come as a great gift giver. And the greatest gift that He's given is the Trinity. Look there in verse 4. It says there's one body and one Spirit. So he's given to us the Spirit. Verse 5. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. He's given to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6. One God, one Father of all. The Trinity is in me. The Trinity is in you. Weak, broken vessels that we are. We have an identity of significance because we are image bearers of a God who is within us. We are, we are holding this great treasure of the Trinity within us. Now and forever. 
Secondly, in verse 7, it says that he has given to us spiritual gifts, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, I'm going to come back to this, and I'm going to take a pastor or a preacher's liberty this morning, and I'm going to go through each of the gifts that we find in four lists in the Scriptures, and I'm going to come back to this very, very specifically in just a moment. In verses 15 through 16, we find that he's given to us the church body. Now, this may be, this may be news that many of you, this may be the most important thing that God can say to you this morning. This church is a gift to you. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. See it as a gift to you from God. I need every one of you in my life. It is no accident. And I'm not saying this just because I'm a Presbyterian and I believe in the sovereign ways of God. But you are unwrapped gifts. And as you are unwrapped and employed at work in this body in two rivers, as you, the hand, are doing your part, you help me, the finger, on the other side. The Apostle Paul says, Back in verse 2, he says, with humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. The, the gift that he's given to us is a match for his call to us, which is to be unified, not a gangrenous part of the body, not a, not a part of the body that the blood flow is just no longer reaching, that's not functioning. We're as healthy as our most unhealthy member. We're as healthy and as unified and as strong as the healthiest part of the body is strong. This church is a gift to you. It has everything you need. May we go on a quest to see that this body fits me and I fit this body. I am needed. It's not only it's a body that's a gift to me, but I'm a gift to the body. Somebody out there needs your hand to hold. They need your voice to speak to them. They need your prayers after them. Not simply mine or another. Yours. Do you see the church as a pyramid? That's me at the top. Now some of you are going to be, don't you shake your head. Me at the top in control of all things. Got to be done my way. You're just underlings under me, the pastor's at the top. Or do you see it as a bus? This is more the consumer model, the consumer church. In other words, we're all on board the bus, and I'm the driver, and you're telling me where to get off. Well, that didn't come off right, but you're telling me where to stop. Or stop, or go. And if you don't, you're going to get off the bus. And you're going to get on another bus that does it your way. Or do you see it as a body? Paul goes to great lengths here. In verse 13, he says that there's a, there's a goal of maturity, mature manhood. He talks in terms of children, little children, who can be tossed around by the waves of philosophies in this world or cunning strategies or even gossip or rumor. Growing up in this body is a safe place to grow. Truth is spoken here in love. Humility is shown to one another. Long-suffering is shown to one another. 
all the bodies doing their part, creating not just an organism or an institution called the church, but a family with everybody growing to full fullness in Christ so that we image and bear that witness to a watching world that we are what Christ looks like. All right, we're going to get into the gifts. And uh, I want to give you, it says there in verse 7, that the gifts are given to each one. Everyone who is a Christian has spiritual gifts. But they're given with some measurements. And let me give you, as just say a few things uh, prior to looking into and defining these gifts, a few things about the measurements of Christ's gifts. Number one, they can either be uh, natural or supernatural. Singing. Singing is not a spiritual gift, but it is a gift. Uh, creativity and artistry. Creating and designing things and presenting them in the body for beauty. That's not a spiritual gift. That's a temperament or a talent. But it's not important to distinguish between the two. Both of them are gifts by a creator God, either naturally or supernaturally, and they're for display and use in the body. It may be found by trial and error. This is how you're going to find. Now, we, we can give you a... You can go online and take what's called a spiritual gift inventory. But the very best way is begin to experiment. Do I have that gift? Teach a Sunday school class. Assist the deacons in, in service and mercy ministry. Consider ways that you might show hospitality. Maybe you have that gift. You may have multiple gifts in various amounts. You'll find when I go through the list of gifts that there, some of them cluster quite naturally together. Wisdom, knowledge, discernment. But you may have one more than the other. You need to cultivate them and grow them. In other words, are you walking in your calling, Paul would say. I urge you to walk in your calling. Or the church will not be functioning as a body. It will not be unified. You need to cultivate them. You need to plant them. Start small. Maybe you think, I've got the gift of leadership. Start small. Lead a community group. Start small. Lead another person or a ministry team. Start small and begin to cultivate it so it can grow. The needs of the moment trump specific gifts. Okay, so after the service, you're going to your car, and there's somebody with their hood up. And they're saying, man, it won't start. I think I need a jump. Well, <clears throat> I'm sorry. I don't have the, I'll get a deacon for you, but I don't really have the spiritual gift of mercy and helps and service. Um, no. The need of the moment trumps the gifts. And we've, we experience this all the time at Two Rivers, don't we? We're a small church, so that means sometimes you need to serve in the nursery. Even though you may say, you know, I don't have the gift of working with small children. Well, the need trumps your not having that gift. It would be wonderful, and I pray that the body grows such that every ministry is led and served by people that have that unique gift. 
But we're not there yet. The need trumps. Annoyance, <laughs> annoyance can be an indication of a gift that you need to unwrap. You ever been annoyed with me or annoyed with this organization? You ever been annoyed with Two Rivers as a church? What they need to do is this. Man, I'm looking at this donut and all I see is the hole right there. There's a hole right there. I think that's a tale. I don't want to be presumptuous. I think I could back it up from Scripture that that's the Holy Spirit saying, what about you? Instead of seeing an obstacle or a problem, maybe that's your opportunity to serve or find someone with that gift. Rather than simply complain or get annoyed with it, that growing annoyance could very well be God calling. God's urging you to walk in accordance with your calling. I'll tell you the things that annoy me. Generally, the things that annoy me are actually things that I really could do well. You know? They're things that maybe I like to do and I just don't like the way other people are doing them. Or I see things and I really want them to be done, but I'm just not doing them. And so, consider where you're annoyed. Look at it. Just consider it. All right. Secondly, let's look at the gifted with gifts. Now, it's important going into this that you understand also not only the measurements of Christ's gift, but that you understand the whole reason. And I've already spoken to this, but Paul addresses it specifically in verse 12. Why are we gifted with gifts? To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. That's one. We're we're given gifts... So that you'll be equipped. You're not on your own. You're not having to do it out of your own resources alone. God uniquely... Are you encouraged by that? Are you encouraged that God thinks you're so special? That you're so important to His causes and His church? That He equips you? Man, I'm telling you. it's, It's amazing to me that God includes us in His work with His people. But He also equips us. He trains us. I was reading a psalm last week where it says that we're like arrows that He shapes, He carves for His own use. And it's glorious. For building up the body of Christ. That's another one. Until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God. You're walking in accordance with your calling. Your identity as seen by using your spiritual gifts in accordance with your being called and identified in Jesus Christ will grow the gospel in you. It will grow the gospel in you. Instruments in the hand of the Redeemer, Paul Tripp says that the number one reason for disunity in community of Christians is because of differences. It's the number one reason. And Paul is speaking to this church in Ephesians, and he's saying unity will come from the gospel, seeing that we're one body, we're one faith, that my gift is not superior to your gift. That we can use these gifts to mutually serve one another 
And we'll see that where there's difficulty, the gospel comes forward and says, wow, with all humility, Christ served me so I can serve you. We grow in the knowledge of the Son of God in His ways, using His gifts with us to mature manhood all the way to resemble Christ. All right. The gifted with the gifts, what are they? There are four lists and there are 16 gifts. Okay? Four lists. 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, 1 Peter 4, Ephesians 4. Easy enough to remember. 12, 4. There's 16 by my count. Now, they're different counts. Some people have as few as 9 gifts. Some people have as many as 21 gifts. But by my count, by my way of counting, there are 16 gifts. But it is not comprehensive. I do believe that there are other spiritual gifts that aren't listed. And there's no one of the four lists that has all of them. I wonder why that is. But in this case, Paul, I believe it's because these letters would have been circulating all around the churches that Paul ministered in. And so they would... They would hear of them. And here in Ephesians 4, we see a very small list of spiritual gifts. The primarily the pastoring and teaching gifts. But there's 16 of them. And I want you to ask yourself two questions as I go very quickly through this list to the end. Number one, which one do I resonate with? Which one... Does my heart go, wow, I can see a bit of that in me. Or others have said it before that I'm like that. Those people that have that gift, I really like. Number two, as I go through the list, do you see or know anybody at Two Rivers or in your Christian community that has this gift? And have you ever told them that? We need so much in our body to affirm and confirm one another's gifts. It blesses my heart when people say, you know, I do believe that you've got the gift of preaching. I do believe that you've got the gift of leadership. That blesses my heart. I I came into the ministry because other people said, yes, I see that as your calling. So number one, ask yourself, and then ask yourself about others. Number one, wisdom. All right, this is insight that is right. Okay, it can be organizationally or it can be relationally. It can be one-on-one or it can be a whole business group. But this wisdom is different from the world. This is wisdom that is based and resourced from God's Word. It's that, it's that, it's that, here's where I see it. I see it at a session meeting with the elders where we've got a particular issue and I'm kind of all talked out about it and I don't have a conclusion. And normally, Barry Brinson is sitting over there and he's had a few words, but he's been pretty quiet. And then he'll say something and then all the elders will look and like, that's it. Right there, that's it. That's wisdom. Um, Knowledge. All right, those of you that have this, you love to read books or you're big with books, uh, either online or, or 
paper books, you're a student, you're a learner. Again, but it's not the knowledge simply of stuff in the world, but it's knowledge that pertains to God. And I have to ask you guys, are you using your gift? In other words, you're, not, you're more than a student, you're actually moving to teach and to share the things that you're learning, particularly the knowledge of the Son of God, the knowledge of the, of the depths of the beauty of Jesus Christ. You know, Paul was a knowledgeable man, but he didn't simply soak up knowledge for himself, but he dispersed it. Faith. You heard John pray earlier about Park Circle Presbyterian Church soon to come up for sale. Um, a person of faith will pray about that. That building will probably be a million plus when it first comes out. A person of faith loves to pray about difficult things and the impossible. It's a childlike faith. It's not naivete, nor presumption, but it's a trust saying, Father, I can see this. Father, you're the the Lord that parts waters. You could do this. Healing. All right, now I'm not... I'm not getting into the deeper waters about do you have the ability to heal somebody by physical touch, but I do believe that there are people that God gives them very specific answers to their prayers and to their ministry to the sick. You see wounded pe- you see the wounds of people. Even when they try to hide them, you gravitate toward the weak. You gravitate toward the hurting. And not simply out of curiosity to stare, but to pray to pray with them, to pray for them, to pray after them. We're encouraged in James that if anybody is sick, to get the elders together and to to circle around, to lay on hands, to anoint them with oil, and to pray. Well, you'd be right there. You don't want to miss out on that. Discernment. Uh, My friend Nathan Holloman in Children's Church has this. There are a number of you that have this. We need this in the church. This is the the man or woman that says they can hear a sermon, they can hear a lesson, they can read a book, and they can say, something's not right. Or, I see something that you other guys aren't seeing. That's discernment. Just the ability to, to, to hear error or to see something that others are missing. Teaching. We need teachers. May their tribe increase. You, you like to see the light come on. You like to disperse more than just information, but disperse information for life change. Helps and service. You're like the Holy Spirit. You like to come alongside and assist. This is not leadership that comes and says, let's do it this way. This is helps and service that says, What do you want me to do? This is our setup team. How can I serve you? It is, and it is something that is very humbling to serve and offer your energies to serve in any way, but it's very, what their experience is, whenever we use our spiritual giftedness, it's our calling from God. He's the great gift giver. I find out who I am. I was made to do this. Administration. Okay. Spoiler alert, if you're a person that saves the comics in the Post and Courier until Sunday afternoon, close your ears. 
particularly if you read Pearls Before Swine. This morning, Pearls Before Swine, there's a potato chip party. And a potato chip goes to the door, and a plain potato chip opens the door, and there's a ruffled potato chip. And he says, oh, you're here for the party. Come on in. And he comes in. And he says, barbecue potato chip, is he here? Yeah, he's over there. Hey, hey, let me get the door. Oh, there's nacho chip. Hey, come on in. Oh, all right. And they start to have rubbish that's collected. Oh, there's sour cream. All right, come on in. Ding dong. These pale white chips all in a uniform like they've come out of a can come through just this whole string of potato chips. And they look around and they said, this place is a wreck. It is so disorganized. We're leaving. And then each chip goes, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving, we're leaving. And they go out the door. The ruffled chip looks at the plain potato chip and he says, man, those Pringles guys are sure renal attentive, aren't they? I mean, they are just so, man, they're just so tight, so organized. Their differences separated them from the others. When Paul says our differences should unite us as each is a part of the body, each is a spiritual gift, each is what two rivers need, and we need administrators. They are the ones that give order to chaos. I don't have the gift of administration. I can tell you David Christopher is about the most organized person that I have ever met in my life. And we desperately need him. Uh, He's away with Elise in India for the time being and uh, left it to lesser minds to hold the fort. So pray that we'll be able to survive a week without him. Evangelism. This means that you love to share the gospel. And don't just think with unbelievers. You love to just share the gospel. You're an ambassador. You're like a beggar who found the bread source, the free bread, and you're just telling everybody, hey, there's free bread over here. You're not just hoarding it for yourself. You love to share. In fact, you don't even, when you're talking about the gospel, you're so in love with Jesus. You're just, you're just, you're just so free with the gospel. You want others to hear this good news that you don't even differentiate who the person is, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. You know we all need it. Pastor, teacher. That's your shepherds, your elders. Your elders are lay pastors. They're shepherds of the flock. They... They feed the sheep with teaching and truths. Encouragement. What a gift. I need this. I was telling Wendy this week, I was saying, man, I need, I just need to dose up with people of encouragement. Sometimes our weeks can be just conflict, 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 conflict. Where's Mr. or Mrs. Sunshine, please? Man, people with the gift of encouragement, they never lack for friends because the number one drug being dispensed in America are antidepressants. We need people with this gift. Boy, do we ever. If you've got a gift of encouragement, deploy it. Get out of the ranks of the unemployed. We need you here. Giving. This is not talking about mere wealth. You don't have to be wealthy to have the gift of giving. Now, we all should be deploying some of these gifts to some measure, but some have it more than others. Giving can mean that you come home with a whole watermelon, you see your neighbor working in the yard, and you're like, you know what? I, I want to give them half my watermelon. And so you go give them half your watermelon. Giving says, I see a neighbor out washing his car. You know what? I wonder if I'll just go help him. 
You can give your life. You can give not only your stuff, but give yourself. Leadership. Leadership is generally, leadership is very, very respected, but some Christian circles look at leadership as something that, you know, it's against humility. No, the gift of leadership is someone, a leader, a real leader, respects other leaders and will follow them. But in a vacuum where there's no one to lead, they will step up. They won't say, I don't have the time. I don't. I just, I'm too busy. You know what? I'm going to give you a preacher's, uh, uh, a preacher's trick. Show you how I do administration. Busy people get things done. Really, I mean, people that are really, really busy are busy because they're so useful. They're doing things. They're out there doing stuff. Go ask them if you've got a project or something. Now, they may not have the time that they've stewarded out. But many times, we find leaders that are not simply sitting without doing something. They just need opportunities to be deployed. Um, Mercy. This is something, again, great prayer warriors. They're willing to go to hospitals. They're willing to go into homes. They're willing to to sit with people in coffee shops and, and listen, 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 listen. Hold a hand. They they gravitate toward hurt. They feel that they actually feel the hurt that that person feels. It's inside. It's more than sympathy, it's empathy. Hospitality. This is something that I pray in 2016 that at Two Rivers we would see this tribe increase. Hospitality is not entertaining. Hospitality means that, yeah, you like to cook a meal or you can plan a small event, but you like to make people comfortable. You like to make a place, an environment that is safe for people with their friendships to rest and to converse and enjoy one another as family. It doesn't matter. The person that has the gift of hospitality, entertaining, yeah, it can be part of it, but it's okay if the laundry room is, is overflowing. It's okay if the sink is overflowing. Hospitality just says, I want you to be comfortable. I don't want the place to be a filthy wreck, but just step over, just put the laundry off the couch, just roll it in the floor, and let's just talk. Make some coffee. You guys actually do a really good job with this. We just want your tribe to increase. Tabling, taking, going out to lunch with one another after church service, having meals at community group, inviting people to your table. Prophecy, the final one. This means that you speak the truth or write it, be it a blog, be it something on Facebook. Um, I... I check Facebook about once a week, so don't try to get an urgent message to me through Facebook, but Ed Baker in our church. I don't always agree with some of his sources, but boy, it's just bold and fiery stuff. But he bases it on God's Word, and that's the test of a prophet. Is it reflective of God's Word? But it's bold and it's fiery. But even then, Paul would say, this Christian community, this family, this body that we are identified with and identifying with and being identified with, they speak the truth to one another in love. Now we're at the Lord's table. Let's leave and go do these things. Did you spot your gift? Did you spot a couple of them, though they may be there small? 
Did you spot some that have been on the shelf that they need to be taken off the shelf, unwrapped and employed? Did you spot some other people? I tried to name a few names, not to call them out or embarrass them, but just say this is, this is where I looked at, I, I appreciate, I, I think, I think, and it's not a game with me, I think that definitely with the majority of the members of Two Rivers, I can tell you, I can tell a lot about your calling. I know that you're identified with Christ, and by your calling, that, that shows that you're employing the gifts that He's given to you. And that's healthy. But how do we do it? We who are the gifted, we who are known as the, those that are gifted by the very God that we serve, how do we do it? How do we deploy if we're held back? Where do we, how, where do we get the, the oomph to get going? Well, He tells us in verse 2, He gives us a couple of characteristics. Humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love. We see all of those at this table in the person of Christ. Christ had all of the gifts. And He's calling to us as He's making us, as He's giving us our identity, He's calling us to bear His image in a watching world. And He strengthens us. He says, look at my humility how I was stripped naked and my body was broken on your behalf that day on a bloody cross. I put aside all my rights in order to become you, in order to take up your cause and to die in your place. Are you willing to die to yourself to serve in this body? Gentleness and patience, most particularly bearing with one another. Because we're a difficult bunch. We're an ornery bunch. But I don't let those differences in you and your gift set or difficulties with you stop me as a part of the body from functioning and from serving you. Why? Because I see at this table how He bore with me when I was difficult and am and how different I am from Him but how patiently and how very, very gentle He is to continue to serve me. That's the gospel. That he looks to me and he says, you're no longer your own. You're a part of my body now and forever. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're significant. You're equipped. And I'm growing you up. Now let's serve together over and over again in the knowledge of how he has modeled and done all of this with his body to equip us. Let's pray.